You're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every Single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Speedy Petey, what is up, my friends? Very excited this Saturday, old-timers day for the New York Mets, getting to see over 60 former players and coaches. The first old-timers day for the Mets that they've held since the 90s, before I was even born. So it's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of festivities. They're going to have a game. Willie Randolph and Terry Collins drafted their teams and should be very interesting. Uncle Stevie will be playing in that game as well, Speedy, so... He should be. I can only hope. We can only hope. I would love to see Steve Cohen on the field with all the different ex-New York Mets. Uncle Stevie was a Mets fan all the way when he was a baby boy. So all the Mets fans out there, enjoy the big ceremony, the old-timers day ceremonies for the New York Mets. We have a lot to get into tonight, but later on in the show, we will be talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul S. Jr., a guy that gets in depth with, with the New York Jets. He travels and he writes for the New York Jets and he's always in the locker room. So Paul is a guy that knows a lot about what's going on with the New York Jets. So we will get into that with him a little bit later in the show. We're going to get into the Yankees inducting Paul O'Neill into the Yankee Hall of Fame. Paul O'Neill, who should have been in there a long time ago, the Warrior, as the fans boo Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner. So we will get into that and my thoughts on what the fans shouldn't do at ball games. We will get into the Nets. No longer trading Kyrie Irving or Kevin Durant. They have negotiated some kind of deal that these guys will be ready for the season, playing on the same team with the clown show himself, Ben Simmons. Lamar Jackson turns down a contract worth about $230 million, which would have made him the second highest paid quarterback in the NFL. It's not guaranteed money, and that was one of the reasons why he did not sign the contract. And Lamar Jackson said before the season starts, he wants a contract or he will not be discussing contract until the end of the season. The Jazz turned down the Knicks offer for Opie Toppin and Evan Fournier in five first round draft picks. So we'll get into the whole Donovan Mitchell saga with the New York. Knicks, which seems like it's never going to end. The Jets and the Giants preseason as they play week three against one another on Sunday. Denzel Mims agent says Mims would like to be traded. Why is Denzel Mims talking. I understand he's not playing with the first team, but he's still under contract. He's still under his rookie contract, and already Joe Douglas has said that he is not dropping him. He's not releasing him, so the only way he's going anywhere is if he gets traded, so it'll be very interesting in the next couple of weeks to see if Joe Douglas decides to part ways with Denzel Mims. And we'll get into the Aaron Donald brawl on the practice field with the Bengals. The two teams that were in the Super Bowl last year seem to not like each other as Aaron Donald starts swinging helmets at this brawl, so we'll get into what the NFL should do if they're going to do anything after that brawl on the football field. We have Moneyline Mania. Chaz and the crew will be joining us a little bit later in the show as well. 81% with their picks handicapping throughout the last seven and a half months. So shout out to Chaz. He will be joining us with Wes. We love Wes. It'll be a great show, so definitely stay tuned and keep listening. So why don't we get into the New York Yankees? And I will say this. 
The Yankee fans are very obnoxious. I am a Yankee fan. Anybody that knows me, anybody that's met me, I'm a diehard Yankee fan. But I know how to treat people. I know how to treat other fans. I know how to treat the New York Yankees organization because this organization for years has built a winner for me to watch. Hal Steinbrenner took over for George Steinbrenner when his father passed away. Swore to the Yankee fans that we'd keep the name alive. He didn't decide to sell the Yankees. He decided to keep the Yankees and ride with them. Brian Cashman has been with the New York Yankees for over 30-some-odd years. He's been the GM for over 25 years. He has been the face when it comes to GMs of baseball. He was a born winner before he took over the New York Yankees management job. We look at this team, and yes, they are not playing well. They've won a couple of games in a row. John Carlos Stanton comes back. They whipped the Athletics butts the other day. Great. And fans are upset because the Yankees in the month of August have practically been 4-14 and 14 for practically the whole month. They've won four games in the last 25 days. Now they're on a winning streak. You don't hear any more boos. The only boos you hear is at the Paul O'Neill ceremony when they announced Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner to hold a plaque with Paul O'Neill and take pictures. Brian Cashman is one of the more respected GMs in professional sports. Practically everybody that's worked under him has got jobs in the major leagues. One of them is working for the New York Mets. The GM, Epler, worked under Brian Cashman. The GM for the Marlins worked under Brian Cashman. I could go up and down each and every team in the majors, and at least one person in management worked under Brian Cashman. This man is very well respected, and Yankee fans As obnoxious as they are, they should have some gratitude and respect for a man that did exactly what the Yankee fans wanted him to do at the trade deadline. They needed to add a bat. They added Ben Attendee, one of the best hitters in baseball. They wanted to add more depth in the bullpen. They added two pitchers to add into the bullpen. They added a starting pitcher like Frankie Montas, who is one of the better strikeout pitchers in the majors. Has he pitched well for the Yankees? That's not Brian Cashman's fault. Brian Cashman's just going to make a trade. That's his job. Not to trade away the big pieces. Make sure that they get more out of the trade than trading away some of the youngsters that could become superstars in the majors. Yes, he traded Jordan Montgomery, and right now he's 4-0 with the St. Louis Cardinals. They added Bader. He hasn't played. He's been hurt. But obviously, Brian Cashman thinks that he is going to play a big part of this race by the end of the season all the way into the playoffs. So why are the Yankee fans booing their GM and their owner? Their owner is one of the more respectable owners in the major leagues. Hal Steinbrenner has spent money. I don't know why any Yankee fan is booing this man. The Yankees have the third highest payroll in baseball. They have two $300 million players. If they do sign Aaron Judge, he's going to be a $300 million player too. That's $900 million in three players. But Yankee fans are booing him. Winning has to do with the players. The management, they give the manager what they need to win. Then these players are supposed to find a way to hit, find a way to pitch, find a way to strike out, find a way to win. And they're just not. The Yankees were the hottest team in baseball going into the All-Star break. And they've been one of the worst teams in the major leagues since the All-Star break. Maybe it's because of injury. Maybe it's just because they're not playing well. Maybe because Aaron Boone has made mistakes with the bullpen. Maybe King and some of the injuries that they've had, major injuries, has cost the Yankees in close games. 
There is no reason on attacking the GM and the coach and the management and the owner in any kind of way for what they did at the trade deadline. you got to give Montez a little more of a chance, too. I was willing to give him the benefit of the doubt after the whole family incident, and he pitched a phenomenal game against the Mets. Battled through in the first inning and then was so efficient after that against a very good Mets lineup. So that's a good start for that kind of thing. Yes, you want to complain about Jordan Montgomery pitching like a Cy Young candidate now all of a sudden since he's gone to the Cardinals. Nobody, even Cardinals fans, expected that to happen. That is an overnight and maybe a small sample. Sample size. It's four starts right now. He could fall off badly right after that. And a lot of the other bullpen arms still haven't found their spots yet. Versatile bullpens are what matter in today's game. That's why the Yankees did so well for the first two and a half months of the season was because they had guys that fit in new roles. Now they're just having a little more trouble finding it because they were just out of the rhythm. Once they get it back, I think they'll be very good again because they still have the depth on paper in that bullpen. Yes, Chapman is not the same pitcher. Understandable. We'll see how Zach Britton comes back. Yankee fans that are booing Brian Cashman are booing him because they don't know who these players are. It's your job to figure out the value of those players. Brian Cashman did that already, and a lot of his trades are gems because of that. A lot of these players that you become accustomed to loving originally started as Brian Cashman gems. Didi Gregorius, for example. Let's go back. He was a seventh hitter, eighth hitter, a defensive shortstop with the Diamondbacks. He became a top 10, top five shortstop in baseball with the Yankees. Who found him? Brian Cashman. Look at all the, between the hitters and pitchers and say, Brian Cashman is bad and you want to boo him all you want just because you don't know the player. Do nobody, your research. Nobody wanted DJ LeMay. DJ LeMay was available. Nobody picked him up. And then Brian Cashman reached out. He was very close friends with the ex-GM of the Colorado Rockies. And he said, pick up this guy. This guy is a star. And what did Brian Cashman do? He signed him in a year contract, then extended the contract to two years. He was there for two years. He won a batting title with the Yankees. And what did the Yankees do? A very good contract to one of the better hitters in baseball. Six years, $80 million. They got a steal for DJ LeMayu. DJ LeMayu has been one of the best Yankee hitters in the last four years. Another gem that Brian Cashman found. We could go up and down the Yankees roster right now. Every one of those guys were Brian Cashman's guys. Everybody says, well, the Yankees were practically handed Giancarlo Stanton. Yeah, he was handed. Derek Jeter wanted to get rid of the contract. Giancarlo Stanton had a contract where he had to choose where he wanted to go. He only said he wanted to play for the Dodgers and the Yankees. The Dodgers didn't want him, so the Yankees got him. Big whoop. And look what Giancarlo Stanton has done for the Yankees in the playoffs. All you fans booing him for the last two, three years as he, he's been the best hitter for the New York Yankees. The hitting over 300 has, I think, six home runs in the last three years with the Yankees. He's the only one that hits in the playoffs the last couple of years. Him and, and Glaber Torres. But everybody booed him. So I don't believe any Boston fan saying that all Yankee fans are rotten. That's not true. But you do not boo the owner and the GM for everything they've done for this organization. This organization has been a winner year in and year out. So what they haven't won a World Series in 11 years? So what they haven't won a World Series since 2009 with CC Sabathia, A.J. Burnett, and Mark Teixeira where they spent almost $500 million in the offseason? They're still one of the best teams in the majors. One of the top five teams in baseball. Even going on a losing streak the way they did in August. You enjoy what you see because it might not be here forever. Now, there are stories coming out. Hal Steinbrenner says he will do everything he can to keep Brian Cashman. Brian Cashman is going nowhere in the offseason. So all the Yankee fans that think that Brian Cashman's done, he's weighed out his welcome, he's going to be here for another three, four, or maybe even five years because the Yankees are going to re-sign him because he's the best GM in sports. 
I have no idea why Yankee fans think that he's weighed out his welcome. Every single year, there are winners. They make the playoffs almost every single year. They made the playoffs on a 2015 year that was supposed to be a transition year where their entire team was old. So all you people, all the fans, all the haters out there that don't like Brian Cashman, enjoy because he'll be here for another five years. And enjoy the gem players that you will be coming to like that you probably have never heard of this year. Aaron Judge. A player that a lot of teams wanted to trade for. And he would not trade Aaron Judge for anything. Aaron Judge got called up. Hit 50 home runs his rookie season. Should have won the MVP. Didn't. He was screwed because Altuve was cheating. Aaron Judge is the fastest player in Major League history to hit 200 home runs. If he continues playing the way he is playing right now at the age of 30. If he plays another 7-8 years, he could hit 500 home runs. He could go to the Hall of Fame. Even though he came into the majors a little bit late in his career. I think he was right. 24, almost 25. So he was a little bit late to the party. Right, which is the same issue Jacob DeGrom might have if he doesn't have the longevity. When you look at dominance, the first team, the first name that pops up in any sport is the New York Yankees. And there is a reason why they're still dominant. Brian Cashman and Hal Steinbrenner. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, some basketball. The New York Knicks trying to land Donovan Mitchell. It doesn't seem like it's going to happen, but who knows? Danny Ainge might bite. And we'll get into the whole clown show of the world. The Brooklyn Nets as they decide to keep Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons on one team. What a circus this is going to be this year. When we come back, we'll get into that here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the Ally News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Well, you just heard the clown music. The Barclays Circus is coming to town as Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the crazy Ben Simmons will have a season in the Barclays Center. As the Brooklyn Nets decided over the last couple of days to sit down with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and discuss what they should do moving forward as an organization. Kevin Durant and Kyrie both agree that they want to move forward with the Brooklyn Nets. All this mishmash, the crazy stuff that's been going on in the last couple of weeks. Kyrie wants to go with the Lakers. Kevin Durant wants to go back to Golden State, or he wants to go play with Phoenix, or he wants to go to Miami, or the Celtics. All the crazy stuff that we've been listening to, all of a sudden, ladies and gentlemen, has changed. Kevin Durant saying that he doesn't want to play for Steve Nash. He doesn't want to be managed from management in Sean Marks. All of that is over now. Somehow, they negotiated a deal where Kevin Durant decides that he wants to stay with Brooklyn for the season and try to win a championship with Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. Speedy, I don't know what to say. With the clown music, with the craziness of this organization, and you thought and everybody thought that the Knicks were the clowns of the NBA. No way. I don't care how good Kevin Durant is. I don't care how good Kyrie or crazy Ben Simmons is. This organization is an absolute joke. The Knicks have never had a stretch where they've never had a first-round pick other than a pick swap for a full decade. In addition to having Ben Simmons, the worst contract in the NBA, it is issued to having loudmouth, I don't even know what I'm thinking every day, Kyrie Irving, and Kevin Durant, who on his eight Twitter accounts has eight different teams he wants to go to and won't be traded to any of them because the Nets think
think, oh, we can just get somebody as good as Carl Anthony Towns and Anthony Edwards for him. Yeah, okay. You're going to need to make your expectations a lot more realistic with that. And it didn't work. So now all of a sudden you're stuck with them again and all old depth to try to run it back and hope that not only they stay healthy, not only they shut their mouths and try and not distract themselves, but they can actually win, which Ben Simmons hasn't been on the court in over a year. Kyrie Irving, he's rusty. He didn't play a lot last year. And Kevin Durant, he's been injury prone. So tough to trust all that all at once. In addition to having Steve Nash, a kind of puppet figurehead coach. Good luck with all that, Nets. Nice job. Has anybody gone to the circus before? Does anybody like clowns? Because if you've never seen a clown or clowns before, go to the Barclays Center. Go check out Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and Ben Simmons. This season is going to be so fun to watch. I'll tell you why. Because once the Brooklyn Nets start to lose, you're going to see the clowns come out. You're going to see Kyrie open his big mouth and his trap all over social media and YouTube and go on every single podcast talking crap about the NBA, his team, his coaches, his management. And then you have Kevin Durant forcing his way out. I want to go back to Golden State. I want to go play with Steph Curry or I want to go and play with Chris Paul. It's been nothing but craziness. Him and his fake Twitter accounts and all the dumb stuff that we've heard Kevin Durant say over the last couple of years has been despicable. And then Ben Simmons. I don't want to hear it. All three of these guys are coach killers. And I don't want to hear that Steve Nash can't coach this team. I could coach the team. I have never coached basketball in my life. With these three players, it shouldn't even be a problem coaching this basketball team. This team should win 50 or more games this year. The question is, are they going to play like a team? Is Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and Ben Simmons actually going to play like a team? Because they did not play like a team when James Harden was there. And I don't want to hear about their bench and the depth and all that other stuff. When you're paying three guys the amount of money that you are, that's your fault. You still should win. Talent is talent. You could put two kindergartners playing with Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Ben Simmons, and you still should win. It is embarrassing over and over and over again listening to Kyrie Irving and his foolishness all over social media, making fun of the organization, telling the organization that he wants a max contract and he only wants to play 60 games. He doesn't want to play any back-to-backs the whole season for the next four years. Don't forget he wanted to be a player coach, too. That's another thing. (laughs) After Steve Nash's practices, he calls his own practices. It's embarrassing. If you're an organization right now and you're watching Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant and Ben Simmons run another organization, what would you say about yours? You're one of the top players in the NBA. And I'm talking to you, Kyrie. You're one of the best point guards we have seen in the last 30 years. I think you're the best point guard talent-wise in the NBA. But you will never reach your potential because you don't shut up. You do not shut up. And Kevin Durant, you are a top five player still in the NBA, even tearing your Achilles and coming back from that terrible injury. And you leave Golden State and you come to Brooklyn and you swear upon winning a championship here and you haven't gone further than the semifinals. You're the best player, one of the top three players in the NBA. Why haven't you taken this team to the Eastern Conference Championship? I'll tell you why. Because you're clowns! And it seems like the Nets tried to create something that they just couldn't handle. They tried to create a LeBron-like identity for Kevin Durant to be able to bring all these veteran guys on one-year deals. Blake Griffin, LaMarcus Aldridge, Andre Drummond, the list goes on and on. And LeBron's the only guy that can succeed with those types of circumstances. And he's the only guy that could succeed in terms of because actually... 
take over a game, yep. Speedy. And he's the only one that can succeed at actually managing Kyrie Irving, which, since you've been Kyrie Irving's teammate, he's done all kinds of, as we mentioned the whole segment, clownish stuff. Milwaukee will never lose to the Brooklyn Nets. They will never lose. As long as Chris Middleton stays healthy, they probably would have won back-to-back championships. I think they beat Golden State. I think Milwaukee has enough depth to beat the Golden State Warriors. And they have the best player in the world and Giannis. I can't see this Brooklyn Nets team turning it around. Unless Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant open up their eyes and realize how talented they are, how dominant they could be as a team, they're never going to win. They couldn't beat Boston. They were a better team going into that Boston series. I don't care how good Boston was playing all season long, how good defensively they were, the best defense in the NBA, and they went in as a second seed. They were better than they were. I don't know what to sell if you're a Brooklyn Nets fan going into the season. There's nothing to sell. The only thing I could sell to all you fans out there is make sure you get yourself a Brooklyn Clown Circus shirt. Circus tickets. You could sell them outside the stadium, just like James Harden sold playoffs. There you go. Maybe you'll get some autographs by those idiots. (laughs) They're a bunch of jokes. And the Nets, as an organization, they're a joke. Because they should have traded these guys and get rid of that headache of what you call Kevin Durant. The Nets at this point would be better off just assembling a bench of all circus animals and hoping for the best at this point. (laughs) And then there's the Knicks. The Knicks are doing everything they can to get Donovan Mitchell. Here's the problem. Danny Ainge is running the show. Danny Ainge hates the New York Knicks organization. He comes from the Celtics organization. He's never been a fan of ownership with the Knicks. He's never been a fan of Leon Rose, and he wants to rip the Knicks off. You saw what he did with the Timberwolves. You saw what he had to do to make this team a future juggernaut in the Utah Jazz. Donovan Mitchell is the best player on that Utah Jazz. No question. No matter how far they've went in the playoffs, Donovan Mitchell was one of the reasons why, if not the reason why. So the Knicks aren't going to be getting one of the best players in the NBA for nothing. And I understand that. But offering Evan Fournier, Obi Toppin, a good young prospect who looked really good at the end of the season, and five first-round draft picks, that to me is definitely worth Donovan Mitchell. You don't know if Donovan Mitchell three years from now decides to part ways with the Knicks and leave. And those picks turn into lottery picks. The Knicks need to do the right thing for the organization. If Danny Age doesn't want to trade Donovan Mitchell to the Knicks, so be it. The Knicks will have to deal with it. Another losing season. Wait until one of these guys become available in free agency and snag him up. It is an embarrassment what Danny Age is trying to do to the Knicks. He's trying to make the Knicks look like a self-proclaimed peewee basketball team. Which is how they've been run for a while, but not anymore because they're not backing down of your stinginess. And we've seen teams do that when you were GM with the Celtics. And how many top superstars did they get? They got the all three of them in one offseason with Horford and Hayward at that time and then Kyrie Irving. But beyond that, you've been striking out on a lot of these guys because of your stinginess. And now, being somebody the other way around, you're going to have trouble losing leverage because it's a player-run league. And Donovan Mitchell, who recently said that he only wants to be traded to the Knicks, the Nets, who are next to impossible to get him, and the Heat, who are having money problems, you're going to lose a lot of leverage from that, too. I was saying four first-round picks and two out of four of the young players we always listed, Grimes, Quigley, Toppin, and Mitchell Robinson, those four, were probably going to be what got the deal. And now you're going for five, one young player, Toppin, and one veteran player in Fournier. That's about the same. That's probably similar to what the offer was expected to at the time with the four and the two players. So you're backing down now from that. You're going to continue to lose a lot of leverage, Mr. 
Dr. Ainge because you're not going to be able to expect it to get the Rudy Gobert type deal. That was more of an exception to the market than the actual market. I don't think any other team other than Minnesota was going to give what you got for Rudy Gobert. And Donovan Mitchell is a well-rounded young point guard. I know he's regressed defensively. I know he's definitely not the same as that. And he's been dealing with a couple minor injuries, but he's a well-rounded player. Rudy Gobert, a defensive juggernaut, but not much offensively, and you got four first-round picks, that's an exception, not the rule. So stop trying to make it the rule and trying to be hard on yourself, because otherwise, you're not going to get an offer as good as what the Knicks gave you. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will get into some football conversation, as we'll get into Denzel Mims, his agent speaking out for him, that he wants to get out, and he wants to be traded, and we will get into the Aaron Donald saga over there on the practice football field, swinging a helmet trying to knock out the Cincinnati Bengals. So we'll get into that, and we'll get into more with the New York Giants and the Jets preseason game coming up on Sunday here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 am I not surprised that the New York Jets are in the tabloids? Am I not surprised that the New York Jets are being talked about in the newspaper? And it's not all good. A lot of the stories is with Denzel Mims. Now, I have always liked Denzel Mims. When they drafted him from Baylor a few years ago in the second round, one of the top 13 wide receivers drafted in the first two rounds, the most ever in NFL history drafted in the first two rounds. And he was one of the guys that I believe was a steal for the New York Jets. I thought he was a late first round, early second round pick. He fell into the middle of the second round. The Jets traded down twice And still got Denzel Mims. And Denzel Mims looked good his first year with Adam Gase. Looked sensational. A lot of people thought out of the 14 wide receivers that were drafted early in the draft, he was a top five. And then he got sick and he got hurt and he was out for a significant amount of time. And then the next year he got sick again and couldn't stay healthy. And then Robert Sala comes in and he just didn't fit the offense. From day one, he couldn't understand the offense. It's very hard to understand. Kyle Shanahan's offense is very strategic and different. A lot of schematic situations where you have to put yourself in a position to make plays in the open field. And he can't. He's had a lot of problems understanding the plays, the play calling. And he's fallen out of touch with the coaching staff. And the coaches have practically given up on Denzel Mims. They drafted Elijah Moore in Robert Sala's first year, early second-round pick, who showed you why they drafted him early in the season before he got hurt. Having over 500 yards and five touchdowns, he led the team in practically every mathematical statistic, and he barely played a full season. After Robert Sala drafted Elijah Moore, he decided to bring in a veteran in Corey Davis who honestly didn't have a great season in a full 17-game season. But the first few games, he looked like he was the reason why the Jets brought him in. A good red zone target and a good big body for Zach Wilson to throw to. And then he got hurt. And then he was out for practically the whole season. That whole Jets offense in the first year of Robert Sala's existence as the Jets head coach was hurt. So in the offseason, you would think Denzel Mims was practicing, figuring out, reading and watching video and trying to figure out What plays are what and where he fits in the scheme? No, he didn't. 
He got sick again, lost 20 pounds, stayed away from the facilities, lost muscle mass, got slower, came back, and the team just didn't understand why this kid has not developed into the player they thought he was at the age of 24. And now this past year, they decided, you know what, we're giving up on Denzel Mims. We're going in the first 10 picks. We've got one extra pick because we traded a big loudmouth to Seattle. And they draft Garrett Wilson at number 10. And Garrett Wilson's going to be a star in this league. Everybody knows it. So now there is no room for Denzel Mims anymore. And Denzel Mims knows it, especially when they bring in Conklin and Uzma, Brees Hall, Michael Carter. They don't have any room for another offensive weapon, at least a loudmouth offensive weapon that has done nothing on the football field except complain and not develop his skills and make his skills. And I love Denzel Mims, and I hope wherever he goes or wherever he gets traded, he succeeds, but not on this team. This team has given up on him. Robert Sala, who's a really, really nice guy, if he's given up on you, there has to be a reason. Yeah, Robert Sala is the one who will stand up for his players all the time. And if he doesn't like you, that's definitely something concerning with you. And Denzel Mims, even though he didn't fit the scheme necessarily last year and wasn't able to grow his route running and stuff like that, you would think he would have a role as a specialist potentially too. And that even now will not be the case because two tight ends later, a second round running back later, even Corey Davis taking over a lot of that role because they brought in Garrett Wilson who could do a lot more of the more sophisticated route running, Elijah Moore who could do a lot more of the versatile, quickness-based motion stuff that Mike LaFleur likes to bring. And even Braxton Berrios, who overperformed for the Jets last year in what was a very lost season for them. You're not going to have that role either now, so... All of a sudden, the coaching staff is shying away from that. Also trying to, like I mentioned, use a lot of different concepts now because the Jets' tight ends were basically non-existent for a long time, and now they actually have two that they could use as well. And the running backs, they've had some good running backs in certain years, but again, nothing like a duo like this in Brees Hall and Michael Carter. Brees Hall, who also could be a good pass-catching guy too, very shifty, did very well receiving yards-wise at Iowa State, and Michael Carter, who we saw last season, was a very good weapon out of the backfield as well and a good route runner. So yeah, you're going to lose a lot of leverage in that situation when it comes to trying to get playing time. In terms of the trade value, we've heard anywhere from a third to a fifth round pick. I think most likely a fourth round pick seems like the most likely. I know we were mentioning on the Sports Lab Mouse a couple teams, the Packers, the Mm -hmm. Ravens. You said Washington as well. Washington, maybe the Bears. Justin Fields right now needs a weapon, and why not? The Bears are very highly connected with Joe Douglas. He's worked for the Baltimore Ravens. He's got connections with Green Bay, obviously with Robert Sala and Matt LaFleur, and the Bears. He's very connected, and over the last couple of years, They've traded and made moves with the Washington football team as well. So it makes sense why one of those four teams could be looking for a valued wide receiver. Right. And I think Green Bay, I think, would be the most ideal fit considering not only the need with all the receiving issues they're going to have this season. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers will help aid that with his elite quarterback skills. But Aaron Rodgers has always done well with big-bodied receivers, too. So I think that's the perfect guy to be able to rebirth Denzel Mims in terms of what he was supposed to be as a prospect coming out of Baylor. Because he has talent. He has speed. He has great contested catchability. And Aaron Rodgers has always done well with big-bodied wide receivers. Keep in mind, also, big-bodied receivers that have struggled in other places. Guys like James Jones, Jordy Nelson, guys like that, that have, once they left the Packers, had some issues. So maybe Denzel Mims gets that in reverse at the right time in his career. He looks like Adams. I mean, his body, everything yeah. about him. I mean, he needs to put on a little bit more weight. But Adams, when he came into the league, he was thin too. Unbelievable length, unbelievable speed. I think he could be 
that Adams type of player. I just don't know if Green Bay is even thinking about Denzel Mims right now. And if Robert Sala is going to go to Matt LaFleur, who, by the way, is his best friend, Matt LaFleur's best man in his wedding, he's going to say that this kid doesn't listen. This kid's not following directions. He's not going and watching tape and doing the things that he's supposed to do as a professional football player. And if he tells that to Matt LaFleur, Matt LaFleur is going to say no. That's the problem. That's the situation that... Denzel Mims is in right now, unfortunately. And a lot of those teams that would have taken the chances with off-field issues in the past, we've seen the Bengals, the Raiders, teams like that. They don't need wide receivers right now. Really, the only obvious contending teams that need them are the Packers and the Ravens. Now, Washington, too, is a kind of a fringe contender that mm-hmm. definitely could use a big body. And the Bears. Guy too. Mm-hmm. The Bears aren't really a contender, but they just need wide receivers in yeah. general. And there will be other teams that definitely could use them if they maybe become later They throw the away picks all the time, the Bears. Oh, yeah, of know, course. So. <laughs> Why not throw a third-round draft pick to the New York Jets? and get your wide receiver. Nobody said the Bears were smart either. They're still stuck in the 1980s. As far as Aaron Donald's concerned, if anybody has not seen the video on Twitter, they were practicing, the Bengals and the Rams were practicing, getting ready for their game, their last preseason game. So all these different teams, like the Jets and the Giants practice all week against one another because they're playing on Sunday. So the Rams and the Bengals, two teams that played in the Super Bowl, they're playing a preseason game. It's not important. So they were practicing on the field, and then a brawl broke out. He ripped one of the helmets off of one of the Bengals and started swinging the helmet trying to knock out half the Bengals' offensive line. And to me, as great as Aaron Donald is, and I have a lot of respect for him, anybody, one player trying to defend himself and and take on 300-pound linemen is a tough guy. But when you're trying to permanently injure somebody on a football field in a practice, going into a preseason game, that is embarrassing. That is an embarrassment to your organization. That's an embarrassment to you as a player. The NFL, honestly, should suspend him for at least one game. You're taking a helmet. You're swinging it around. What happens if he hit the guy that, that he took the helmet off in the head and knocked him out? Gave him a concussion. Could turn into CT in the future. Right. Who knows? Could you imagine that happen? And Aaron Donald thinks he can get away with it because he's the best defensive lineman we've seen since Reggie White. It is embarrassing. And the NFL should look at these videos. The videos are right in front of their faces. Mm-hmm. And the NFL should learn from the Miles Garrett incident, too. They should have suspended him and, and didn't end up doing it at the time, too, when it seemed like he was going to get indefinitely suspended. And Aaron Donald did something very similar. Now, granted, it was a practice versus a game, but still, it's still malicious intent swinging a helmet a helmet is a hard object you clearly have a Bengals helmet in your hand that means you clearly ripped somebody else's helmet off it's not even your helmet so you're not even swinging at a guy that has a helmet on necessarily or it could be an unprotected area and Aaron Donald was swinging not one but two different times in that thing that it's definitely a suspendable offense and the Rams hopefully they do the right thing and suspend him as a team but if not absolutely the NFL should get involved with this kind of thing and make an example out of this because Miles Garrett got away with it for whatever reason in 20 He didn't play the rest of that season, but didn't get suspended into the 2020 season. And the NFL kind of botched it there, so they can't afford to do that again. Yeah, I know the Rams are your precious L.A. darling. They won a Super Bowl last year. I know you're banking on that kind of thing to happen because they want L.A. football to work. Well, do the right thing and actually suspend it. I think he's the best player at any position in the NFL right now. I'm not denying his talent. It's legendary. That does not give an excuse for this kind of undisciplined swinging of a helmet at multiple Bengals line. And then there's Lamar Jackson, who was offered $230 million by the Baltimore Ravens. He already spoke to the Baltimore Ravens and said that if he doesn't agree to a contract before the first game of the season, there is no contract talks until the end of the season. They're not speaking about it anymore. And maybe he's mad at the Baltimore Ravens. Who knows what's going on? 
Maybe because they traded away Hollywood Brown. We were speaking about that on the Sports Loudmouths. Who knows? Maybe it's because he's not getting guaranteed money like Kyler Murray is. But Lamar Jackson, he doesn't have an agent. He is his own agent. He's the only NFL player that speaks for himself, which is crazy. And he's going into a season where he's going to put his body on the line with no NFL contract. He is a running quarterback. He's not a throwing quarterback. He runs first, throws second, and he's putting himself at risk because if he doesn't sign that contract before the season starts, then he puts himself in a position that if he gets hit, he tears an ACL or tears a rotator cuff. He could be out for the season, and that means no contract for him. And he can't put himself at risk. So if I was him, and he doesn't get that contract signed, he sits out for the whole season. Very fishy market here with trying to judge this. And the Ravens, I think, did the right thing. I was worried that the Ravens were going to be too tough on him. They gave him the contract that was very similar to what Kyler Murray's it was. But it's not guaranteed. But it's not guaranteed. But again, the Browns contract with Deshaun Watson was fully guaranteed. Is that going to be a new norm type thing? Is that what Lamar Jackson is trying to fight for? It's going to be very hard to be able to win that kind of thing. I'm not denying that the player should not get guaranteed money, but you're trying to have the whole contract be it at once an organization like the Ravens that has a lot of other talent you want to be able to win you want to be able to keep everybody and they're not going to be able to do that if you gave him that kind of money too so I think the Ravens are doing all the right things here yeah maybe you should add a little more guaranteed money maybe but beyond that I don't think they're doing anything wrong in this situation I'm with you I don't know if Lamar trusts them at this point the way they've built their team it's a receiver league now with quarterbacks passing league and that's the one position they've had trouble developing as wide receivers and maybe Lamar is frustrated at that Hollywood Brown is just one example of it, but the Ravens over the years, it seems like all their best receivers are free agent guys, so you're looking at a case where they can develop everything else, and maybe they gotta figure that out if they wanna keep Lamar happy long-term, with or without the contract. All the Jets and Giant fans this weekend will be the final preseason game for both teams, as they are going to be playing in the great and powerful Snoopy Ball. Who cares? The Jets are going to get to see their first team defense, their first team offense play probably the first quarter, as well as the Giants. And we'll get to see what these players and what these teams are going to do early in the game and see how strong both teams are going to be, being that you're going to get to see all the starters. So I'm excited for that. I think if you're a Jets and Giants fan, you get to see Saquon Barkley play the first quarter against the Jets' first team, and you get to see all the other Jets, the defensive players, Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, which we haven't seen all preseason, all the top defensive players and offensive players for the Jets play. So that is definitely exciting to watch on Sunday. And then a couple of weeks from now, you got the first game of the season. I think the Jets play on the 11th. The Giants play on the 11th as well. So against the Titans. Yes, it's going to be fun. And the season's right around the corner. And if you're a Jets and Giants fan, hopefully it's a good season for both. The Giants are expected to win, some people think, eight or more games. One could only hope. (laughs) The Jets are expected to win six, but I think they could win more. If everything falls right for them and the players that they drafted turn into the players that everybody believes they're going to be in the future. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we have our special guest. We will be talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Estin Jr. here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Well, 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 we have a Jets guy. 
guy. We heard he's very, very funny, and we finally have him on the show. We are now talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Esten Jr. Paulie Paul, what's going on, bud? What's popping, everybody? Thanks for having me here on the show. Okay. I'm great to finally pop this cherry and be on the program. Well, you're popping it all right. Hopefully, the Jets pop our cherry this year and actually get on a winning streak, something they That'd haven't nice. done in years. Before we get into New York Jets conversation, how are you feeling? How's your family doing with this whole COVID-19 situation for the last couple of years? I will be honest. Speaking of popping cherries, I just popped the COVID cherry. I had avoided it this entire time, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. I was out for like the last two weeks. And Sorry to hear that. And not to get all intense here and uncomfortably vivid. But fevers, body aches, all that crazy crap. Every day I thought I was going to kick the bucket. I'm like, ah, oh, this is the day. It hit me like a pile of bricks, me, my fiance, and my uh, six-month-old daughter. So it was crazy, sickening. It's still here. So it's been tough. But obviously with our world, with doing video shows, radio shows, everything else, working more from home and having this home office set up for interviews and everything else, it's just been a new world that's both good and bad. You get some convenience and things of that nature and other things like that. But yeah, man, it's been wild and we're still trucking through it. The new world order. Ah, anyways. Yeah, there you go. And W.O. Um, throw it up. Baby. That's right. We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Esten Jr. So, Paul, why don't we get into the Jets' second preseason game. The Jets didn't really start any of their starters. We did see Sauce. We saw Hall. We saw a lot of their secondary players playing. None of their front seven. Jermaine Johnson added a little bit of defense here and there, but nothing that really stood out to me as far as uh, the defense is concerned. What stood out defensively in the second game for the New York Jets. Yeah, 17 of 22 starters offensive defense did not play in this contest, mm-hmm. so it was very situational from that standpoint. What stood out? Horrificness. Uh, <laughs> terribleness. That's what freaking stood out, man, over the first two preseason games, for yeah. that matter. I guess you take it in the same level that whether they're playing, they're balling out or, or they're sucking, it's preseason at the end of the day, but the fact they haven't been playing their starters, I think a lot of people are just hoping that's the issue, because unfortunately, a lot of the problems that we've seen thus far for the Jets seem very irritating really similar to the issues that they were dealing with in in 2021, the biggest of which, of course, they did finish 32nd in defense last year, but the worst part was that run defense. Over a four-week stretch, it included Jonathan Taylor and the Indianapolis Colts saying hello and thank you very much. (laughs) Ran buck wild over this uh, New York Jets defense and they're going to get the ultimate challenge. Week one, Lamar Jackson, that offense, which won't have Gus Edwards, he's going to be at least the first four games of the year, but J.K. Dobbins, that rushing attack, Lamar Jackson, that's going to be the ultimate test to see if the Jets' run defense has improved any. But it can't get any worse because <laughs> last year was 30 seconds. We definitely saw in the first preseason game, too, the Jets have a lot of trouble with the Eagles and Jalen Hurts' style of play, a mobile quarterback. We've also seen this issue in the past, even when Robert Sala was defensive coordinator with the 49ers. They've had a lot of trouble over the years with running-type quarterbacks such as Kyler Murray. What do you think is the impressions of that, of what you saw with the Eagles, and how do you think the Jets are going to have to fix that in order to make that work? Because they're going to be playing a lot, not just Lamar Jackson, other mobile quarterbacks. Yeah, they played Josh Allen in the Division twice a year, to name a few. And also, Robert Tarr had the same issues when he was in San Francisco right. playing uh, Josh Allen as he was bursting out of that as well. What the Jets are trying to do, there's only one way to find out if it's going to work once we get to the regular season. They added pieces that you wouldn't normally think of the San Francisco-type scheme, like Sauce Gardner, fourth overall. You're not supposed to take corners that high in this uh, solid principle defense. They ended up trading back in uh, for Jermaine Johnson, who's going to be a rotational guy on that defensive line. They invested at linebacker with guys like Quan Alexander another schematic guy from the past who I still can't believe is 27 years of age. He feels like he's a thousand with how long you think he's been in the league. But they didn't add any true run defenders. They let Foley Fatu Kasi go through your deal, 30 million. 
to the Jacksonville Jaguars, but they never replaced him. So they're trying to do a sum is greater than the part sort of thing where they've added Sauce Gardner, DJ Reed, another schematic guy from the past, uh, Jordan Whitehead from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And then we mentioned kind of the variety of different guys who are intriguing. Jacob Martin, Bradley and I, they have JFM, Quentin Williams supposed to take a step. Carl Lawson didn't play last year with the ruptured Achilles. They're just hoping all of those pieces help. And really what I'm intrigued with is the Sala system says four man rush, and then we're going to keep it really simple. But because of the additions in the secondary, which we weren't really anticipating, DJ Reed, three-year deal for $33 million, Sauce Gardner, fourth overall. Can they get some of those exotic blitz concepts where they don't have to just rely on the four-man pass rush? They could put a little extra pressure. As we saw, the cover three was getting carved up over the preseason, and Sala, even a couple of times last year, just refused to adapt. But now that he's got the talent in the secondary, will he run some more man concepts? And again, that could open up the blitz categories up front. That's something I think they may be kind of holding in their cards for the regular season. Paul, you look at Brees Hall. He was a high draft pick, I believe, for the New York Jets, especially in the second round. He was the first running back drafted in the second round. A lot of people think that he is going to be a high-profile running back. In fantasy, he was, I think, ranked 36 in almost every single board. What do you think Brees Hall is going to be this year for the New York Jets? Yeah, he was the highest drafted running back by the Jets in 31 years. Mm -hmm. Let's put some stamp on the significance of that draft selection and, as you mentioned, the first running back taken overall Mm -hmm. in the 2022 NFL draft and again among the favorites for offensive rookie of the year and for good reason the fact of the matter is the Jets obviously haven't taken running backs very high and then the 49ers in general are guys that are supposed to take Elijah Maguire's of the world where they just kind of throw a dart throw at the end of the draft and that's the Shanahan scheme and the reason why the Jets decided to do this is Michael Floor has said it in the pre-draft process and he said it post-draft since they've acquired Breesall that this guy's different he has those zone concepts that he incorporated from his time in college that that they believe will allow him to kind of ascend, to, to kind of skip a few steps in the playbook, so to speak, so he can contribute immediately. They had Michael Carter last year, fourth round pick. They thought he was a steal. They couldn't believe that he was on the board in the fourth round. But the reason that they even dipped their toe in the Brees Hall waters is because Carter could not stay healthy. And they're like, okay, this guy's not a three down back. So we want to have a 1A to a 1B. To me, Brees Hall is going to be the bell cow of this offense. It may be 50-50, 60-40 at first, but I think ultimately Ultimately, it will separate somewhere in the ballpark of 70-30 where Brees Hall is getting the rock. He can run the ball. He can catch the ball out of the backfield. And he's been doing really well in pass protection, which, of course, is the key to getting on the field for all three of those downs. I think he does have that ceiling of being an offensive rookie of the year. If he could get the carries, if he could stay healthy, he has all the capabilities to get that touches in this offense because the Jets, at their truest nature, want to be a team that ground and pounds of football. So Quinn and Williams' contract negotiations have been a big talk of the Jets all throughout the offseason. So what would you do if you were the Jets? Because interior linemen are getting paid a lot more than we've seen in the past because it's more valuable analytically. A hundred percent. Aaron Donald just rewrote the record books and perhaps that's going to be similar to Aaron Rodgers became the highest paid quarterback in football with a 50 plus million per year number. And normally each guy tops the last guy, but Aaron Rodgers has almost superseded that. He set the market and the other guys, the other kids, quote unquote, are playing in the sandbox. So their numbers are kind of beating each other, but still not topping Aaron Rodgers. I think that's going to be the same case with Aaron Donald. He reset the market to this crazy number, and I think the other kids, the rest are in the top five, top ten, are going to be battling with each other as opposed to topping that number. That's the interesting thing with Quentin Williams because he was a number three overall pick, and the fact of the matter is, as a number three overall pick in a vacuum, he's been disappointing. He has not been the superstar, great elite player that I'm sure the Jets were hoping when they invested the number three overall pick into this guy, but 
but he hasn't been this total terrible bust of a horrible player. He's just been a rock solid guy that has done well, both analytically speaking and also statistically speaking, but they're waiting for the pop year and the Jets had one decision to make or the other. Of course, this offseason was the first year they were eligible to even discuss a contract extension with him and his agent, Nicole Lynn. What the Jets are saying is prove it. And if Quinn and Williams pops, because they had the choice to proactively give an extension right now, and maybe they save a few bucks, and I advocated for that this offseason, or if you wait and allow a second year in the system, more town around him, we've mentioned some of it, JFM, Carl Lawson, all the guys that are going to be around him. If I was a betting man, and I am, I would lay some bones that Quentin Williams is set for a breakout year because everything is going in his favor to be that, to for all of that to come to fruition. The only way it doesn't is if he gets injured, which none of us can predict how any of that could potentially happen again. He was kind of banged up last week, didn't end up playing in the game either, but most of the starters didn't. The New York Jets anyway, Robert Sala doesn't seem to be concerned. For me, I think that number is going to be crazy though. I think at this point, it's 17 plus million per year on a deal. And again, if he breaks out the way that I believe he can, he could be approaching the 20 plus million per year ballpark. One of the reasons Robert Sala took this job is because he believed in Quinn and Williams. He said, wow, that's a guy I can build around. That could be the centerpiece of my defense. So they have high expectations for this kid and they believe that he could take the next step. Again, still incredibly young at just 24 years of age. Think about that. Michael Clemens, the guy they just drafted, celebrated his 25th birthday last week. Mm-hmm. Quentin Williams going into year four here, and this guy is only 24 years of age. There's so much potential here, but they want to see him pop, and if and when he does, they're more than willing to pay the piper next offseason. The Jets have done him a lot of good, too. They brought Quincy Williams in there. He's playing with his brother, and his brother has been a good player coming from Jacksonville, so it's something that the Jets are trying trying to keep Quentin happy. Let's go into the weakness of the New York Jets over the last couple of years, the wide receiving core. Now, Zach Wilson tearing his meniscus, being out a significant amount of time, but not as bad as everybody thought he was going to be because of the ACL. All these experts, these doctor experts that watch the video, oh my God, he tore his ACL. And all we found out is he had a bruised knee and a meniscus problem, which usually heals within two to four weeks. So he'll be back probably week two. Nevertheless, Garrett Wilson, number 10 pick, Elijah Moore, early second round pick last year. You added some tight ends in Conklin and Usuma. Where does this offense take it to that next level this year? More draft nuggets. Garrett Wilson was the first first round receiver the Jets has taken since 2001, 21 years ago. That was Santana Moss. He's the highest drafted receiver since Keyshawn Johnson was the number one pick in the late 1990s. The Jets have not invested this level of capital into these premium positions. You mentioned Usami and Conklin, $45 million there. Jeremy Rucker, the Jets just said, YOLO, let's add more tight ends. Phenomenal. They added a lot of juice, a lot of chutzpah, you may say, to this offense. And again, Elijah Moore, last year, that second round pick, he he was one of the highest drafted receivers they'd taken in some time. And he looked like a star. Unfortunately, he could not stay healthy. Corey Davis, another one who could not stay healthy. But now he's going to settle more into a proper number two or number three role as opposed to the number one receiver that he wanted us to believe he was. And unfortunately, he isn't. But that's okay. You just be whoever you are. And this case, I believe Elijah Moore will be the true number one wide receiver for this offense. And you have a true number one in Elijah Moore. You have Corey Davis just playing second or third fiddle. And Garrett Wilson has been really special throughout training camp. Mm. And even in these preseason games, you've seen that elite body control coming out of Ohio State. And it feels a little Jamar Chasey. Not that he will have that kind of impact. But when Jamar Chase was a rookie, I remember everyone on these shows saying, ah, Jamar Chase, drop a pot of Oh, God, this guy sucks. And then, oh, yeah, he just had that spectacular record-breaking rookie season that he did with the Bengals. And Garrett Wilson has had a lot of weird, just simple drops. And he turns around and has a crazy one-handed 
catch in the back of the end zone. You're like, what the hell? What's happening here? So it's a lack of focus, certainly happening from that perspective. But in terms of the Jets' offense, you're right. They've been dog crap. They've been terrible forever. And now, finally, they have all this talent, and now we need to see it manifest itself. And the architect behind this is a famous NFL name that we all know. That's Mike LaFleur, who's entering the second year of his system. Now he's got the toys to play with. Last year, he didn't. So a lot of the crazy crap he was gone early in the season, the Jets' offense was simply not capable of executing it to that level. So I believe this Jets offense has the potential to make a quantum leap here, of course. Joe Flacco should bring a nice floor at the beginning of the season if Zach Wilson is not ready. But Zach Wilson obviously provides a sexy ceiling that can unlock this entire offense if, of course, he can take that next step. Don't forget about Braxton Berrios either. Of course, <laughs> double B, baby. Long-term trajectory with Zach Wilson coming off this kind of injury. Luckily, only a small tear in the meniscus. Not necessarily a running quarterback. He does throw on the run a lot. When he does come back, should they still go full throttle with him? Do you think they're going to ease him back in? And long-term, how do you think this will impact the Jets and Zach Wilson? In terms of the easing, yes. The Jets are going to be overly cautious here. With the injury timeline, if you squint, Zach Wilson could be ready for week one against the Baltimore Ravens. But I think what the Jets want to do is make sure that they don't rush him because there's no rush to it. Now that we know it's not what the Twitter doctor said, a, a blown ACL <laughs> oh and he's dead on the doctor's <laughs> table for Jesus. How many po- Does everyone just want to be right? Does Paul, everyone just want to be first? How many yeah. people, how many podcasts, Jets podcasts during that first preseason game with the Eagles, how many yeah. people went up there and said, our season's over, we're going to be looking for a new quarterback in next year's draft, bah humbug. And you heard what Robert Sala says, we did all yeah. the tests, it looks like his ACL's intact. They thought that about Mackay Becton too, and they were wrong about that. So a lot of Jet fans were probably saying, well, you said that about Mackay too, and look where he's sitting. But in the locker room, everybody said that he was walking without a brace, he wasn't really limping anymore, and he wasn't grimacing. Usually when you do something your ACL, you're wearing that big boot. He wasn't wearing that, so there was something telling me that it wasn't as bad as it could have been. I agree. As far as I knew, as soon as Zach Wilson was injured, people were telling me that Jimmy Garoppolo is already on the team. He's flying to New York. I'm like, he is? Welcome Jimmy G, I guess? I'm like, can we wait for the body to be cold for Pete's sake? Christ. So there was a lot of that hoopla out there on all of that. And then, of course, good news. Jet fans normally aren't used to getting good news twice in a week. Of course, Joe Klecko being a senior finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame, long overdue. And then the Zach Wilson injury news coming within 48 hours hours of each other. But in terms of the intermediate, the Jets are going to play it safe because there is no impending doom line time on. They have Joe Flacco, who they believe in. So if Joe Flacco plays week one, they have no problem waiting right. to week two on the road against Cleveland to getting him ready. Again, if they want to be super precautious, I think the absolute latest that he's going to play is week three. That'll be a home game against the Cincinnati Bengals. And if they really just want to wait to their home and just play it out that way and be ultra safe, and if the offensive line gets a continuity, they have not had that this offseason with all the new pieces. Right. They could certainly wait till that point, but I don't think it will go any later than that. So they will play it precautiously. They believe in Joe Flacco. In terms of long-term, hell no. They're going to be riding Zach Wilson because they drafted him number two overall to be the crazy bastard that he was at BYU. Doing all the crazy throws where he escapes the pocket and improvisational skills to deliver on the plays that, of course, he will need those healthy knees to have that. Now, is there concerns with the same leg 10 months apart? Mm-hmm. Of course, two injuries to that same knee is always concerned. But at this point, there's no correlation between the two. The PCL is a PCL. And in this case, the bone bruise 
and meniscus injury are totally unrelated. Zach Wilson will just have to play his kind of ball. He can't play scared out there, and the Jets will not. Once he's back, he's back. He's going to be 100%, and no training wheels or anything of that nature will be coming in for Zach. We are talking to Heavy Sports, Jets digital reporter Paul Esten Jr. Why don't we go to the cornerback position? And DJ Reed, he got that big contract because Robert Sal likes to bring his own guys as Alexander came, and Rankins, another guy that knows the defense. What are your thoughts with Sauce? You've seen Bryce Hall, who had a really good year in the first half of the season last year, and that kind of fell off in the second half, and that's why the Jets were looking for corners in the draft. The slot position's filled, too. You have Michael Carter, who looked really, really good before he got hurt last year from Duke. Eccles, where is this secondary at? Does the Jets think that this secondary could be the best secondary in the NFL? A hundred percent. The talent is just night and day. Last year, the media was pounding the table for the Jets to please add some sort of veteran, and someone from his past, a Richard Sherman was available. Steven Nelson was another veteran that I remember Jet fans clamoring mm-hmm. for last year. Please add somebody to this room. Bryce Hall, this unproven player. Brandon Eccles, a day three dart throw. Michael Carter, day three dart throw. Like, what the hell are the Jets going to do? They're going to get crucified and lit up during the season. Now, to their credit, while the overall numbers and analytics are not great, the Jets corners actually played fairly serviceable last year, all things considered, with these pieces that they kind of threw into the mix. They gained valuable experience. And now, after the Jets said, YOLO, we're going to invest all kinds of resources. DJ Reed, $33 million. Michael Carter returns in the slot. Jordan Whitehead with safety and bring back LaMarcus Joyner and then Sauce Gardner. Now all those guys who were starting last year, Bryce Hall, Brandon Eccles, those guys are now backups, primary backups. So they feel really good and the Jets believe in their building that they have the talent to be one of the best secondaries in the NFL with everything they have. They believe Sauce is a transcendent piece. They believe he could be a lockdown corner. He talks so much trash while he's on the field. It's infectious. He never gave up the touchdown college and then the first thing we asked him when we were looking ahead to the season. He's like, I don't plan on giving one up in the NFL. He hasn't given one up in the preseason either. He hasn't. He's not even targeted. They're they're going after other guys. I don't think that's going to be the case when we get to the NFL, the regular season. I think teams are going to be like, okay, let's see what this Sauce guy is all about. Mm Because DJ Reed, while not as tall as Sauce, he is a widely respected corner that has proven to be. He even said it when he was interviewed initially after being signed that he puts up his numbers with the Jalen Ramseys of the world. So super confident guy himself. But I think NFL teams are going to test sauce. Now, maybe they're going to get burned when you touch that pot and you get a little bit of that sauce on your hand. That sauce kid is uh, looking like the real deal. He hasn't had a bad practice since he's uh, been here with the Jets. Thoughts on the recent cuts? I'm surprised, but not really about Elijah Riley, but was shocked about Eddie Pinheiro and also Mike White and Chris Streveler. What are your thoughts on third string quarterback situation? Chris Streveler is Jesus, as far as I'm concerned. He is the second coming of the Messiah. New religions must be dedicated in his <laughs> honor. Has anyone seen the CFL picture? Wins a great Cup championship. He's in a fur coat, cowboy hat, stogie in the mouth, and he's just dropping beer and wine all over his hairy body. Like, wow, what a guy. QB1. I don't know how we haven't started this conversation here on the show. Who needs a Zach Wilson's injury? We got Chris Steffler. I know. Zach Wilson who? Uh, Chris Strebler, QB1. The thing is that Mike White has been living off the praise of the Hall of Fame game is what we call it. The Cincinnati Bagels game. He comes in. He's forced to start because of the Zach Wilson injury. Right up there, it's him and Cam Newton have the greatest QB QB debuts of all time. Now, Cam Newton, of course, number one overall pick. Mike White, fifth-year veteran, 27, former fifth-round pick of the Cowboys. So different circumstances, of course, with their debuts. But nonetheless, Mike White has this great game, but then everything else since then has been crap. And I just feel like everyone's afraid to say it because Jet fans were doing the Mike effing White thing where every restaurant he goes to, people are like, oh, that's Mike effing White. And he has like this cult-like Ryan Fitzpatrick, (laughs) cult 
following, but the problem is he hasn't done diddly crap since a Bengals game, and Strebler has just straight up outplayed him. And it's impressive because Strebler didn't get any team reps prior to that Eagles game, and then we're like, okay, that's a fluke. And then he does it again against the Falcons where the offense immediately looks better with him in it, and I think part of that is he's more closely correlated to a Zach Wilson in terms of his athleticism and things he can do, and thus should be an easier transition to the offense. So Strebler's been impressive, so impressive, in fact, that I would swap him out, and he would be QB3 over Mike White if it was up to me. Elijah Riley's a cool story. The Jets have been chasing him for years. He was on the Eagles practice squad. They finally stole him last year in 2021. Ended up playing and starting in seven games last year for the Jets. Unfortunately, he just didn't jive in the same way this offseason. He gets cut as we go from 85 to 80. Kai Nakua, uh, he's another one. Talented guy. He was a former safety that transitioned to linebacker. He was an interesting project, but ultimately just couldn't overcome the Juan Alexanders, Quincy Williams, some of their draft picks from last year. Hobson Nas Jamie and Sherwood. He was fighting an uphill battle from the get-go. And Sherwood's look really, really good in preseason. The Florham Park Strangler is his nickname from the coaching staff. Really? There you go. Yeah. That's an interesting name. What is he, a serial killer? (laughs) We were talking about Zach Wilson frozen body just 20 minutes ago, so there's a lot of (laughs) things going on with that. He's looked really, really good. He just has to stay healthy. And I think he was transitioned from safety to linebacker. That's correct. I think both guys are very important pieces to what the Jets could be in the future with their linebacker position, because a lot of people believe the weakest part of their defense is the linebacker position. Let's go into Carl Lawson. What does he look like so far in OTAs and practices and even in in preseason? Do you think that Carl Lawson is going to have that breakout year that we thought he was going to have last year where everybody was saying he was the best player on the field? I do believe. Last year, he was the best player on the football field. And of course, unfortunately, joint practices, Green Bay Packers, freak injury, ruptures his Achilles out for the year. Terrible. First year of a three-year deal for $45 million. This offseason, obviously, they played it incredibly, overly cautious. He was supposed to play, and Carl Lawson was pissed at him against the Philadelphia Eagles in the first preseason game. And Robert Sauer, right before he goes out, again, the whole plan all week is Carl Lawson playing. Robert Sauer whispers to him right before he goes out, leave your helmet in the locker room. And Carl Lawson starts getting pissed off, like, what the hell do you mean? I want to play in the goddamn game, pal. <laughs> so Salah's like, ah, no, nah, we're just going to play it safe. Same thing, Falcons game. Okay, he'll play. Doesn't play again. And then now it looks like he will ultimately get that debut. Somewhat unorthodox final preseason game. That's normally when everyone plays their scrubs. But in this case, the Jets will be having their quote-unquote dress rehearsal for the Snoopy Bowl, the old New York Giants game. How wonderful. Uh, coming up later this week. But in terms of the Carl Lawson question, again, they've been overly cautious with him, but the burst has been incredible. The explosion has still been there. That's what you're concerned with. When you're talking about guys coming off Achilles injuries 20 years ago, that's a career death nail when you get that injury. Now with the advancements of medical technology, it's not always the case, but even still, certain positions rely on that Achilles, that explosion that you need to get. And Carl Lawson, of course, it's a it's a main part of his game to explode off the line of scrimmage to make those plays happen. He's never been a double-digit sack guy, but we talked about analytics earlier. The Jets were in love with the analytics. They were in love with the pressures, his ability to get in opposing quarterback's face, and they believed they could transition those pressures into actual tangible sacks. And they believe this is going to be the year. He looks apart physically. Again, we're going to have to see ultimately. Ultimately, he's whether a he's big the same man. player he was last year a when big we get man. to the regular season. But again, the same thing I said with Quinnen. So much talent around him and second year in the solid system. I think we're going to get an explosive year out of Carl Lawson. Carl Lawson's a big man. Oh, I actually yeah, met him. He's a freak of nature. And his body and the way he works out. Swell up, baby. Swells up. Did you ever see his workout plan? It's ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. I actually I'm, spoke yeah. to his trainer, Dr. Sharif Tabah. Talked about all the crazy workouts behind the scenes. They went through the water workouts and things to rebuild that Achilles. And the 
problem was is that he would schedule workouts with Carl, like, okay, 6 a.m. But Carl showed up at 3 a.m. and did his own workout before their scheduled workout. And he said he was a freak and he couldn't get him out of the building. And he said, dude, come on. We have a process here. We have a rehab plan. And Carl also didn't care. He just wanted to keep getting back on the field. So he's a wild dude. So speaking of major injuries, Makai Becton suffering one second knee injury. A guy that big, six foot seven, over 350 pounds. One thing that they always prided him on was moving so well for his size during the draft. How do you think he will be able to come back? And do the Jets still play him as a right tackle? Could you see him moving to guard? What do you think about the long-term trajectory? Dancing bear is the term. They <laughs> talked about Makai Becton coming out of Louisville. The crazy body. He got all the comparisons to Jonathan Ogden's. Again, Hall of Fame talents, Hall of Fame traits is what they said about Makai Becton. But he's only played eight complete games. There's been several games throughout Makai Becton's career where he started games and didn't finish them. The biggest example is the season opener last year where he gets out for the year. So only eight complete games in what will amount to be three years because he's been placed on IR. So he's officially out for the season. And then they make the fifth year option decision coming up in May. So eight games in three years, they can't possibly exercise that option, especially now the fifth year guarantee. It's fully guaranteed now. It's not just injury anymore. So they will decline that fifth year option coming up in May. But Salah gave this passionate plea and really went over the top more than above. Say that Mekhi Beckton's story is not written yet. We still believe in him. Organization wraps their arms around him. If they were going to trade him, it had to have been this past offseason where he still had some value, where you had a really impressive rookie year. There's still injuries, complete wash in year number two. And then if you really wanted to flip him and convince somebody, I always call it the save the stripper mentality because we all go to the strip club. We go, we could save that girl that's up there. She has a great life that is just untapped potential. So people would have <laughs> believed that with Makai Beckton. But now with two complete out years that you had to throw in the garbage, not including the rookie year, that he has no value. So the Jets have no choice but to wrap their arms around this man. And he will then be entering his contract year with them declining the fifth year option, which I expect to happen in May, which means 2023 will be contract year, boom or bust. And in terms of what he will be in terms of long-term prognosis, I don't think guard is going to happen for him. I think he stays at tackle. But in this case, they, re- they when they signed Dwayne Brown as a veteran free agent, they signed his old ass to a two-year deal. They gave themselves a little bit of flexibility heading into next year, and he's exclusively played left tackle. He's never played any other position in the NFL. So they have in their back pocket a left tackle for both 2022 and 2023. George Fant is not under contract beyond 2022. So they have Mekhi Becton there. He is projected to be the right tackle next year. But of course, we have to see, would the Jets draft a tackle? I imagine they would very highly in the 2023 NFL draft to protect themselves because Dwayne Brown would be becoming his 38-age season. Mekhi Becton hasn't played in two years. And then you have George Fant, which again, we don't know what his future is going to be with this team. So they'd have no other choice but to draft a guy. But I think Becton stays at tackle. We are talking to heavy sports Jets digital reporter Paul Eston Jr. Joe Douglas. Now, if Mm. Zach Wilson fails this year, he has a terrible season. He does not look like the quarterback that everybody thought he was going to be. And then next year's draft class is stacked with quarterbacks. Everybody believes this is the best quarterback class since the Sam Darnold quarterback class where there was only two quarterbacks that really showed up to be any good. Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen. Baker Mayfield's all right. Sam Darnold looks like he's a bust. Josh Rosen, too. When you look at Zach Wilson and Joe Douglas, are they together when it comes to the organization deciding on what they're going to do moving forward if Zach Wilson fails this year? Do they fire Joe Douglas if Zach Wilson fails? 
they are completely attached at the hip. If Zach Wilson flops, if it's injuries, I guess it leaves this aura of mystery. Then fans and media and everyone says to themselves, what could he have been? As opposed to him just sucking, like him being terrible. Because the Jets offense, they have done leaps and bounds of adding talent around him, which will make sure that the Sam Darnold thing doesn't happen. With Sam Darnold, of course, there was always excuses. Well, the offensive line isn't great. Well, the coaching sucks. Adam Gase. They didn't want any of those excuses. They wanted to know that if they put all the talent around him and Zach Wilson failed, they're like, he failed because he sucked, not because of anything we didn't do in terms of some level of continuity offensively. Joe Douglas got his whack at the pinata. That was Zach Wilson. He traded away Sam Darnold, which amounted to be a very good trade to get three draft picks and maximize that value. And then they invested in Zach Wilson. They got their second choice of anyone not named Trevor Lawrence. He picked Zach Wilson. If Zach Wilson flops, I don't think Joe Douglas gets to see or enjoy the banquet of what appears to be a very rich quarterback class in 2023. So I think it's all or nothing here. And in that case, heads are going to roll if the Jets don't have the wins this year. The ownership wants tangible results. He didn't say playoff mandate, but he might as well have. They need significant wins. They've had six wins over the last two years. That's completely unacceptable. They need to have seven, eight, nine. They got to be in the conversation so, at the end of the season or heads are going to roll. So, so yes, they're completely attached to the head. The Jets have one of the hardest schedules in all of the NFL. If the Jets don't win more than six games this year. So you're telling me Joe Douglas, Zach Wilson, and maybe even Robert Soller are on their way out? Oh, yes. That is completely possible wow. that all of those heads can roll with that. I don't get the entire schedule excuse. Mm. I know from a national perspective, right. people have looked at the Jets schedule and said it's incredibly tough. I look at the schedule and I evaluate it from a quarterback perspective. When you look at the first four games, they have the entire AFC North. That's the first time in Jets history right. that they will open up a season against an entire division like that. You have the combination of Kenny Pickett and Mitch Trubisky. Even if somehow the technology existed where they could combine their powers together, that still is a mediocre quarterback. And then you have Jacoby Brissett week two. Jacoby Brissett. The other two are pretty good. A former MVP in Lamar Jackson. He's really good. And Joe Burrow was just in the Super Bowl. But I evaluate it on a quarterback schedule. Now I get it. More of it goes in than that. The Steelers defense is really good. Miles Garrett, Jadavion Clowney are pretty good. So I know it goes beyond that. But purely from a quarterback perspective, two of those quarterbacks seem beatable. I don't believe in Tua. They got to play him twice in the year. Go to the other half of the schedule. Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Jared Goff, Geno Smith. That guy looks familiar. Look at those quarterbacks. I don't think it's this impossible schedule. It sounds like an excuse that if the Jets don't win, the schedule looked a little rough. No, it doesn't. It is completely manageable. Now, there's tough games. Russell Wilson, Aaron Rodgers back-to-back. I don't know whose cereal the Jets front office pissed in, but that doesn't look great. But there's more than enough meat on this bone for the Jets to win some goddamn football games. My prediction on the schedule show was 9 and 8. But wow. I think what's realistic is 7, 10, 8, and 9, especially with all the games I just talked about. Plus, you have Mike White somehow beat the Bengals. Who would have predicted that crap before the season? Right. There may be games they win that they shouldn't, and vice versa. Maybe they blow a game against the Lions. Can't wait for that one. That one will be spectacular. <laughs> but So is. they're going to win games they shouldn't and lose games they probably shouldn't. But either way, when you look at the schedule, 7, 8, 9, if there's someone in there, that seems like legitimate progress that right. you could look ahead to in 2023, where everyone seems to believe if they make I all these leaps that. and bounds, that's yes. the playoff year. Yes. That's the magical year yes. where things can happen. Because then you have Elijah Moore for his third year, Garrett Wilson for his second. He gets more accustomed to the offense. And then the offensive line, if they could stay together and McGovern stays healthy. McGovern's a very important piece because Zach Wilson's growth concerns me from the center position because the center runs that offensive line. He's the guy that is the captain of that line. And McGovern could not stay healthy. Stats show us that McGovern's been a top 
10 center in the NFL really since he's been there with the Jets. So I expect him to show up this year. I expect him to stay healthy with a veteran line and Elijah Vera Tucker. He is an all pro player this year. I believe that. I think Jet fans, unfortunately, are spoiled. They have caviar taste. They had Kevin Mawai, Pro mm-hmm. Football Hall of Famer, mm-hmm. and Nick Mangold, seven time Pro Bowler, back to back. They slapped cheeks as they were passing <laughs> from Kevin Mawai going out to Nick Mangold coming in. So they've had this 20 year run, essentially of amazing all-pro center level. As soon as Nick Mangold left and retired, this weird musical chairs at center, and it's so important to the line. Connor McGovern, while there are analytics that will tell you that he has proven to be a top-ten center and incredibly durable during his time with the Jets, he's not this top-five center, but he's not this bottom-five center. He's just this steadying presence. He's just a rock-solid guy. If we lined up all the centers, he's probably somewhere in between 15 and 20. That's okay, especially Elijah Tucker and Lakin Tomlinson. When Centers have good players around them. They play better. Their level is raised. So Elijah Tucker has this all-pro potential. Lincoln Thompson is a pro bowler from last year. Dwayne Brown, the guy they just brought in, also a pro bowler from last year. And George Fan is coming off a really special year as well. So mm-hmm. when you look at that offensive line on paper, it has top 10 potential. Mm-hmm. But of course, they have to stay healthy. And they have no level of continuity with each other. Can't They're mean. Moving They're mean. Because uh, Dwayne Brown is mean. Lincoln Thompson's yeah. funny, but he's mean. Elijah Tucker is very mean. George Font, he doesn't really talk but he plays me. That's a mean That's offensive line. And McGovern, I've never met McGovern. Yeah. I've met Font. I've met Elijah Vera Tucker. I've also met Lincoln Thomason years and years ago as a San Francisco 49er. I think all three of those players are going to play a big part of the growth of this team, but Elijah Vera Tucker, I believe he could be the best player on that line. If you look at stats, Elijah Vera Tucker was a top three guard in the NFL the last eight games of the season. If he could do that this year, a full season, now under the same offense, under Mike LaFleur, I think he's going to be special. Look at this show. You guys doing all your homework and bringing stats and getting extra credit points at the end of class. You guys are goddamn impressive. Well, thank you very much, my friend. We really appreciate you joining us. Oh, yeah. Your personality definitely stands out, especially who we are and how crazy we are and how loud we are. So we really appreciate yeah. you. Tell the fans how they can find you on social media. At BoyGreen25, Facebook, Twitter, <laughs> The Gram for all you kiddos, YouTube.com slash BoyGreen25. We have a lot of great interviews. We had Jericho on earlier this offseason. Damian Woody was on. Jets beat reporters, insiders, and everything. We try to give you a nice little splash there on YouTube with some cool insights. So YouTube.com slash BoyGreen25. All the social medias if you want all the daily action as well. At BoyGreen25. Hit the follow button. Let's baby. follow each other on Twitter. I'll definitely stay in touch with yes. you. I definitely want to get you on again. I love your personality. Thank you very much. Your producer. Talk to my producer, my people, and we'll figure it all out. So, Petey, hop in the DM. Slide on in there. <laughs> Slip and slide. We'll make it happen. Well, he's got to learn how to slip and slide. Yeah. Last time I did that, I had bruises on my chest. <laughs> I believe. Make yeah. sure you flex up. Add some more muscle to that frame. Isn't Get some it, Brutus Beefcake in there. Brutus the Barber Beefcake. I remember him. He doesn't understand what the slip and slide comedy is. <laughs> Practice makes perfect. So just give it an old Bing search and get the images. That was the best search engine for a while, but not anymore. Yeah, there you go. Excellent. <laughs> Thank you, Paul. Yeah, thanks, fellas. Peace oh, out. Always. Paul Eston Jr., Speedy Petey. How'd you like him? Very funny guy. Bringing up corpses of bodies from Twitter fans, Twitter doctors, Jets fans, making crazy takes. Great personality. I love, love him. him I really love the interview, and we'll have him on again if the fans never heard him or never checked out some of the different things that he has done, his stories that he's written, or even some of the podcasts he's been on. This guy knows what he's talking about. He's very funny. He's very educated on the New York Jets, and if you're a Jet fan, you have to check out 
him out on Twitter. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we will be getting the Moneyline Mania boys on as we will have Chaz and the crew. Moneyline Mania segment here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Scene Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. This part of the segment is also brought to you by Wake and Bake every single Saturday on the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. As we call this segment, Money Line Mania. This is Money Line Mania. With Chaz and the crew. Our 81% handicappers are back. Wes, a.k.a. Worldwide Wes, and Mr. Wake and Bake himself, Chazzy Boy. What's going on, guys? Yeah, I don't think Blackhawk Wes has given out a loser yet on Saturdays in Canada for the new season. Have you, Wes? I don't think so. We've been pretty spot on. Canada, that's my best sport. There's nothing else going on. There's no other sports to distract. I don't have to decide between college and NFL. It's just straight Canada. North of the border. Until next week. So anyway, I have to send a shout out and thank you. I don't know who to, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I want to thank the person who created 420worldclock.com because what it does is it constantly tells you when it's going to be 420 again somewhere. And it really is great for Wake and Bake. So it's always 420 during Wake and Bake at one point. I haven't worked it into the show yet, but I will. But I am enjoying, not only are we learning about cannabis, together we're, we're winning sports betting bets but we're learning about geography because there's a lot of people that have never been to french polynesia where it is going to be 420 not only 420 a.m you got a 420 p.m on the other coast they don't differentiate man 420 people they know if you've ever lived with somebody who's a stoner that sound in the morning the birds aren't up yet right so there's no chirping you know the birds start just as the sun comes up and you can tell what time of day it is right before that for the guys that are working for a living you hear the bong bong Bubbles from the other room taking a river and you can hear that you know right up joe's up he's going to work it's 5 30 <laughs> then like 30 minutes later the birds get are up. you smoking today Chaz? <laughs> i'm usually smoking days that end in y you're crazy man i love it we do this segment every single week money line mania these handicappers are the best in the country and that's why we do it so if you're a betting man and you're betting on anything draft kings fantasy sports or whatever you do you gotta listen to these guys these guys are the best we do our best we work hard at it and i tell people all the time these are plays that I'm giving out to give out to people. On my show, I don't even give out plays. Right? I talk for an hour with handicappers from all over the world. Not even country, but world. And I don't ever give out my plays. I give out an opinion or two, and I have a couple of those for sure. We all know that. And you remind uh, everybody of the Chargers curse. If I'm giving the plays out on this show, I'm betting it with my own docaroonies. Your docaroonies and your docaroonies are usually right. So why don't we get to it as Chaz. Let's go through your picks of the week, and then we'll go through Wes's. Are you ready? We're going to go 
chronologically for me. Because tonight, after we're off the air at 103.9, we got a couple college games left. We got North Texas, and we've got UTEP. And then we have Vanderbilt and Hawaii. And I'm going to talk about the Vanderbilt and Hawaii game. What do we know about teams that go to Hawaii? They like it. They like going to Hawaii. Teams like going to Hawaii, and, and it has for years been, especially if it's at the beginning of the season or at the end of the season, it's been a death trap for favorites. So road favorites going into Hawaii don't do well. If you've been to Hawaii, you understand. If you haven't been to Hawaii, you really should go to Hawaii. That really would solve all our problems. So what we're going to do is we're going to look back at a, a couple things on the Easy Sports data. If anything jumps out at us in terms of those two games. The funniest part about it is when the games are on, the Degenerate Special, it's the last game of the day, and then you turn it on the TV and it's still sunlight over there, right? It's like 5 o'clock in the afternoon in Hawaii, and here there's only one guy working at the sports book. He's the closing, and he's the guy who's going to cash all the tickets for the next two hours. It's the game where you've had a great day. It's like, yeah, let's do one more, and you start looking through it, and you somehow find a way to justify it. And if you've had a bad day, you, you somehow decide that Hawaii's going to cover it save your life. It, it's the most bizarre things take place with that game. I have some ideas on what I think this game is going to be. We know with Hawaii that at any point, any season, they could have the best quarterback in the country in terms of how many yards they throw because they really look like a Canadian football team now that I think about it. Arena or Canadian? More Canadian than Arena. Throw the ball all over the field, but Vanderbilt does cover. They cover games. They covered at the end of the year last year. They cover on the road in their last two years on the road. They are 7-2 and two against the spread, but they don't score. In their last six games on the road, they've not scored 24. They got 0, 24, 0, 20, 17, 21. So they haven't scored more than 24 points one time. I'm taking the points here. Hawaii's going to play to the very end of the game. Vandy might start slow. I don't normally take a lot of dogs, but if I take a dog, what's the one thing I also do, Black Hawk West? You play a little bit on the money line, too. Yes, always, always. And that one will be a nice one because the touchdown will get you 180. Last week, I gave out a couple winners, and one of them was to the Jets. And I had the Giants and the Jets, and they both won. The Giants didn't cover, but I I had some money line action on it, but I had Jets straight up, and they made it look easy getting points. I'm coming back with them again in the final game of the preseason, but I'm not betting for the game. I'm just betting them for the second half, and the reason is it says bet the Jets for the second half, and I'm a married guy. I do what my wife says, and I bet what the data says, and my life is pretty easy. Last game, Detroit to Pittsburgh. This is an eight bets a game kind of world over on the all, so it's preseason, so we're going to have first half over, game over, and we will come back at the second half and bet it over again. They like to score points in the preseason. Why teams do what they do in the preseason? There's a lot of arguments. I just believe it's in their DNA. I believe it's the genetics of their ownership to the general manager to the coach. Whatever they do, that's the way they handle it. And when you catch rides like we did with the Baltimore Ravens where we've been winning on them for four years. Everybody's talking about them this year. We have cashed every single game they have won for the last four years because they're 28-3, and three, I think, against the spread in their last 31 preseason games. Don't tell the Atlanta Falcons. Betting against the Atlanta Falcons has also been very profitable. The Jets did that last week, right? Yep, they did. And betting yeah. against the Yankees was very profitable for the month of August. Chaz, the real question, are the Falcons 3-28 and 28 against the spread? No, but they have a pretty bad... It's pretty easy to, to know when a team's got a bad record because we're creating reports, and these reports have columns, like any report has a column. But when they're all L's or they're all W's, they jump right off the page at you. 
what you do and how you do it, it's it's pretty amazing when you go through your subjective picks throughout the week and, and then come to a winner and a loser. So I, I really appreciate some of your thoughts and, and some of your picks. Wes? Last week on the show, I called out the North Texas. I just really like the running attack of North Texas. So pick them on North Texas is just too easy. The one that I'm going to go forward to is Thursday is West Virginia against Pittsburgh. Most people are looking at Pitt saying, oh, Kenny Pickett, is he's in the NFL playing for the Steelers. I'm looking at a system, a system that produced 41 points per game average and a transfer quarterback from USC who's got a little bit of seasoning and he's going to step right into the system. The spread for the game is minus seven. I love betting team totals. So we're going Pittsburgh over 27 and a half for the game. I believe that they have the potential to hang four touchdowns in the first half. I think the University of Pitt is going to show up. Slovis is going to be just a tremendous addition to the team. I don't know that they miss much by Pickett going pro. Slovis is that good. The other one that I'm looking at is Florida and Utah. I have no idea why the public is so hard hammering Utah. Open at plus one Utah. It's now minus two and a half Utah. It's at Florida. Somehow the University of Utah is ranked seven in the country. I truly don't know what I'm missing. Florida's got a new head coach. He's going to be inspired. I love the roster. Their size, just top to bottom. I cannot find where Utah has any edge over Florida. And oh, by the way, it's at the Swamp. So I'm taking Florida money line. I'm not taking the two and a half. I'm going money line, and I think Florida's going to smoke them. That's going to be the first top 10 that falls. Did you guys see how much Julio Rodriguez got from the Mariners? $470 million for 14 years. Did you guys see that? I did. What's up with these deals? I understand that they want to hold on to their guys. They're signing 12, 14, 15 your contracts. I know it, it all works out to those numbers where he's making close to 25, 26 million. And I would take the money too. It's guaranteed. Think about it this way. You're a kid that comes from a very poor family. And then all of a sudden you get an offer worth about $470 million for the next 14 years. It's guaranteed money. And you set your family and your family's family and your family's family's family up very, very well for the future. It's crazy. It's crazy money that these guys are making. Oh, it's definitely generational money. There's no doubt about it. But I think that you're seeing it now some of these teams are starting to change hands they're just investing in the equity if you own something you look at the cowboys you own something that went up 30 percent it was worth six billion to begin with you just picked up 30 percent yeah you might as well invest it in fixing up the house being in kc patrick mahomes he owns a piece of almost every sports team here he doesn't have an ownership piece in the chiefs as of today at some point they're gonna name the stadium after him my son is gonna go to patrick mahomes elementary school but he's got a piece of sporting kc He's got a piece of the Royals at Brittany Mahomes. She's got an ownership piece in the women's soccer team that's coming. Once you get to a place of money, it's what can we own now? That's the crazy thing because I'm looking at these contracts. Crazy money that you're seeing these guys make, but they deserve it. If they're as good as they are and they feel that they're worth it, you might as well take the money that is offered to you. So I'm sure he appreciates now, whether it. Whether you're worth it or not is a relative term. If something says sign here and it's got those numbers, yes, sign. Numbers in baseball blow me away, though, because you look at ratings, you look at popularity, and you just look at what people are talking about, debating about. Baseball is not it versus some of the rest of the sports that are out there. I'm not knocking baseball fans. I'm just saying top to bottom, only away. I remember when Pujols got his first $250 million, and that was almost a decade ago. The NFL is the most popular business on the planet, and Mahomes' contract was not that staggering if you compared it to some of these mm-hmm. baseball contracts and 10 years ago and what the value of the dollar was back then. The baseball number 
numbers, they have always been staggering to me. Well, here's the thing also. Think about the quarterback position. Aaron Rodgers is making $50 million a year. We see guys in the NBA now making $60 million a year. Damian Lillard from Portland is making $60 million a year. Eventually, we're going to see athletes making $100 million a year. It is crazy when you see the money that these guys are making, throwing a football, throwing a baseball, shooting a basketball. They come from families that nothing. Have you guys checked out the movie on Disney about Giannis and his family? It's a crazy story. They weren't even being accepted in Greece. They were a family that snuck into Greece, and they couldn't get their visas over there. And then all of a sudden, just the luck of the draw, they put their names out there. He tries out for the NBA, or he tries out in front of scouts. The scouts in Spain didn't want to sign him, and it just so happens he picks an agent that said that I can get you further, or maybe get you an opportunity, and it winds up that the NBA was interested in him. He gets into the draft, and they said if he doesn't get drafted in the top 16, he's going to be lost, and his family is going to be pushed out of Greece, and he might never play in the NBA or never play professional basketball ever in his career. The last pick, 16, he gets drafted by Milwaukee. And now he's the best player in the NBA. Figure that one out. No doubt about it. But that's sports. That's the beauty of sports. You know, we're talking about baseball. They play 162 games. They're not making hardly any money a game. Compared to what the NBA makes a game, they only 60 divided by 82 is three quarters of a million dollars. Chaz, so Chaz. The NBA, though, one player can change a team. We've seen LeBron do it. Forget about the GOAT argument. We've seen LeBron carry a bag of donuts to a champion the NBA makes more sense than any sport. They're generating the same revenue, if not more, than some of the other sports. And it's a much smaller roster. In the NFL, the salary cap ain't changing. You get the same amount of money to spend no matter what. 50 mil to a quarterback. Who else are you signing? The Chiefs just had to let Tyreek Hill go. Green Bay, they couldn't afford Devontae Adams. You want to hear a crazy number? Gary Cole, every time he throws a baseball, makes $30,000. And you would think if a guy knew that, he would throw more balls but he's still striking people out, man. <laughs> it's crazy. When you estimate the numbers, the games that he plays a year and the pitches that he pitches a game, he averages close to $30,000 a pitch. Chaz, I'm not that's sure crazy. if that's how pitch sequencing and innings <laughs> limits work. <laughs> they could talk to each other. So if you cut in, you hear the catcher saying, throw it over the plate. And he's going, you've been to my house. You see how much money my wife spends? I'm throwing two more balls. I need the money. <laughs> Chaz, just make sure you don't get caught with any kind of technological piece. Otherwise, you might get caught cheating like the Astros. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Well, Trash he, can't he'll have baby. to be high before he cheats because he won't even remember it the next day. I don't have enough passion in my life about anything that I would cheat at. When their kids were younger, I would sometimes cheat on them just to screw with their heads. But I'm still screwing with their heads, so at least I'm consistent. Yep. Thanks, Wes. Wes is playing daddy tonight. His wife is over there in Indiana. She's a backup singer for the Phil Collins Experience. Shout out to Wes's wife who's out there making money for the fam as he yep. plays daddy at home with his son, Quinn. So, shout out to Wes for joining us and giving us the time. Thank you, Chaz. Always be cashing, guys. Moneyline Mania, ladies and gentlemen. Fantastic, fantastic personalities in Chaz and World Wide West. They're always good, and if you guys haven't heard from them or you haven't checked out this segment, check them out on social media. Check them out on Wake and Bake on Saturday mornings on our network. They're fantastic. They give you some good takes on what's going on in sports, and they're the best handicappers in the business. Check out this segment every single Saturday. Because they are dead on 81% every 
time they come on. They've been on almost eight months, and they've been almost 80% or more. If you check out what Vegas is, they're 63% or less. That tells you how good they really are, handicapping and picking games and picking winners for you. Definitely check them out every single Saturday and Waking Bake and the Weekend Crunch. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to get into Crunch Time here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen, as you know. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, kill us on our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. It's been a great show as we were talking to Heavy Sports Jets digital reporter Paul Eston Jr. Thank you for joining us. And shout out to Moneyline Mania. They were fantastic as well. And now, as you all been waiting for, we call this segment... Crunch Time! It's time for Crunch Time! Gotta see the pitch. Now we'll start this one in the NFL. Buy or sell. Aaron Donald will get suspended for his helmet-swinging brawl against the Bengals. It is Aaron Donald, ladies and gentlemen. Why would the NFL suspend the best player in the whole league? It's not going to happen. Roger Goodell is going to push this under the rug like everything else when it comes to superstars. So I am going to sell it. As much as he should be suspended, I agree with you. I am going to sell it, too. They can't just possibly do anything bad to their darling L.A. Rams. They are not going to do it, even though they absolutely should, because that was malicious. I am going to sell it. All right, buy or sell. Pete Alonzo will be the first non-Aaron Judge player to get to 40 home runs. Right now it's Kyle Schorber, 35, Paul Goldschmidt, 33, and then him, 31. I'm going to sell that. I I think Paul Goldschmidt has the best chance to getting to 40. He's been the best player in the National League, and, and to me, He's been Superman in the National League, so I am going to sell that. I'm going to sell it, too. I think it will be Schwarber, actually. I think Schwarber now with Bryce Harper back in the lineup, getting a lot more protection, much more of a free swinger than the other two. Goldschmidt hits for good average. Alonzo, good at going the other way. Schwarber always trying to hit home runs, so I am going to sell it as well. I think it will be Schwarber. All right, we'll go to college football now. The preseason top five, Alabama, Ohio State, Georgia, Clemson, Notre Dame. Buy or sell, only two of those teams will make the college football playoff. I would say Ohio State, Alabama, And Clemson. I think all three of those teams out of the five. I think Clemson, I think Alabama, those teams are going to be the powerhouses this year. I question all the other teams that you mentioned because there are so many weaknesses and strengths that the other teams have. And and I think Clemson this year, they're a powerhouse. They had a really good recruiting class over the last two seasons. And Alabama, as we all know, they are the juggernaut. So three out of the five. I'm going to sell it. I'm going to buy it. I think Bama and Ohio State are going to be the two guarantees. I'm not as high on Clemson, not necessarily for winning the ACC, but for getting that overall level. I think they will have a bad loss because there are some improved teams there. I just don't think they're ready this year. Miami could be a lot better. NC State could be a lot better. Georgia, they lost too much last year to be able to make it work. They might win the SEC East, but I don't know how easy it will be. And then Notre Dame, they always find a way to choke in big games. I'm going to buy it. It's only Alabama and Ohio State that make it out of that group. All right. Buy or sell. Kayvon Thibodeau got injured. He still will play in week one. I'm going to sell it. 
If I were the Giants, I'd make sure and I protect my young superstar, make sure that he's 100% healthy like the Jets will with Zach Wilson, and then bring him in. So I do not believe he's going to play in week one, so I'm going to sell it. I'm going to sell it, too. I think they can't risk it with all the injury issues they've had with Ojalari as well on the other edge, who left practice again on Friday, and not ideal circumstances for the Giants' edge rushers that have not been good. So they have to be able to protect that kind of thing. So I am going to sell it as well. All right, one NBA one. Russell Westbrook would be traded and not bought out. I'm going to buy it. I think he will be traded. The Lakers need to get something for Russell Westbrook. He still could play in this game. I still think he could play on a team that could use him, and he's still a guy that can average 18, 8, and 9. He could average close to a triple-double. So I'm going to buy he gets traded. All right, I'm going to sell it. I, I think there's just not enough teams that are being willing to take on that offer. And the one Lake, year. I know, but the Lakers are also in a tough predicament where they can't give either the extra draft picks or the extra players to make that kind of thing work either. I think it's just going to be a very tough market for them. So I am actually going to sell that one. I think it would have happened already if he was. All right, by ourselves. Right now, they're currently two and a half games ahead. The Phillies now with Bryce Harper back will finish ahead of the Padres in the wild card race. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to buy it because I like the Phillies. I like what they did at the trade deadline. I love Bryce Harper. You put him in the middle of the lineup with Kyle Schwarber. That's a powerhouse in the middle of your lineup. You have a guy that can hit 35-40 and another guy that can, even though he's missed the whole season, can hit about 40 home runs. And I think they're both going to be blasting him in the middle of the lineup. I think they have a lot of depth in that lineup. So I'm going to buy that the Phillies make it and the Padres fall out of it. I'm going to sell it. I think the Padres bullpen has to wake up at some point too. Josh Hader has been a mess since he's come over there and it's affected a lot of the other relief pitchers, kind of like we were saying with the Yankees before. They're just look out of whack right now. I can't imagine them staying this cold forever. The Phillies bullpen has been a lot better in the second half of the season. I will give them credit. I just don't know if they can weather the storm the whole way because they're reliant a lot on streaks. So it seems like they'll make it because the Brewers aren't playing well either, but I think the Padres will eventually pass them. I am going to sell it. All right, last one. Denzel Mims will be traded before the start of the season. Absolutely positively he will. I do believe Joe Douglas was planning to trade him. Now that he comes out and talks to the public and his agent speaks out, now they definitely got to get rid of him because he's going to be nothing but a problem in the clubhouse and in the locker room. So I'm going to buy it. He gets traded before the season starts. Yeah, I'm going to buy it too. I think Packers, Ravens, a lot of those teams, I think will definitely be pushing for that kind of thing, especially this late in training camp where they really haven't had an obvious thing in the wide receiver room. I know you mentioned Washington as well. They could definitely use some offensive depth. And I think the Jets will definitely be active when it comes to shopping them. I don't think Joe Douglas can be too stingy for this one where it's going to delay everything because of what Denzel Mims already said. So he's going to still get good value back, but not the jump start like you've seen in the past with the Jamal Adams thing. So I'm going to buy it as well. Well, 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 thank you to our very special guest, Heavy Sports Jets digital reporter, Paul Eston Jr. If you guys didn't check it out or you didn't listen to the show, go check it out on our app at WWSRN on Apple or on Android. Go to the Play Store, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Uh, Check out the Weekend Crunch if you missed the interview. It's a great interview with Paul Eston Jr. If you're a Jet fan, he gives you such great insight of what's going on in the Jets locker room and what the Jets are going to be this year. So great interview. Thank you to Paul Thank you to Chaz and the crew, Moneyline Mania, as they are just rocking and doing the things that they do best and handicapping and making picks. So, guys, go cash your checks, cash your money, because these guys are as real as anybody in the industry. Check out Moneyline Mania, our segment, every single Saturday at 7 p.m. It's a great, great segment. That's it for our show. We'll be back next week, as always, with special guests and great content here on the LI News Radio as we are the Weekend Crunch. Good night, everybody.